If you remember in Leviticus 10, we read about Nadab and Abihu. Uh, again, I want to emphasize that everything leading up to this moment was progressing very well. Everything was being done with the mindset that uh, the Lord commanded this and this is how we're going to bring it about. And we're going to do this in such a way to bring glory to God. And, and that certainly needs to be our thought every single day to consider and think, what does God want me to do? How does God want me to, to follow Him? What can I do to encourage others to follow Him properly? And uh, as we arrange our thoughts tonight, we want to think about how much we give. In uh, Leviticus 10, and verse 1, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire on it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. I want to emphasize again, the issue that we find with Nadab and Abihu is not necessarily an issue of what they did so much as an issue of the heart. The heart is one of the most important things that we need to recognize and see in our lives. Of course, we recognize that when the Bible talks about the heart, we're not talking about this organ that pumps blood within our bodies. We're talking about the mind. We're talking about the innermost being of who we are. And so this forces us to really consider some, some tough questions. Some questions like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why do I believe what I believe? Most of the world doesn't even consider those questions. For example, when you talk to somebody about a particular religious notion and you ask them, what do you mean by that? That may be the first time they've ever had to really face and consider why they believe what they believe. And so we need to think about this preemptively and we need to consider these things. We want to round out this series with the concept of holy giving. We must regard God as holy. And that means in every single aspect of our lives, we need to be willing to give to Him and set these things aside for Him. Isn't that part and parcel of the term holy? When you think of holiness, we need to think about this concept of being separated for the use of God. And so is my giving to God, is this something that is set aside for Him? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 16. Because we see uh, this is the only place that we see the pattern for giving under the New Testament. Now there are other places where we see, and we'll look at a couple of those passages, where we see uh, the attitude discussed and the way that we're to give and the kind of things we're supposed to be giving for, that all bleeds into the work of the church. And that is really important things to, to consider and study. I would encourage you to study that. We don't have the time to go over all the, the details of that tonight. But I want us to consider what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Now Paul goes on to make it clear that this is a special collection that is being done to help other Christians in other places. This is a collection that one congregation is going to be sending to another congregation to help them out. 
And so we recognize this, but at the same time, if we have any authority for taking money into a treasury and holding it, this is where it is. And think about that. This is the only place that we get this. Now, lest you think that this is something, uh, you know, some sort of thin reasoning, and maybe we're just standing on faulty ground in our collection, uh, God only has to say something once for it to be true, right? And so that's what we consider here is you're laying something aside. You are storing it up. Now, I recognize that the individual is storing it up, but we can imply and infer from that that the congregation can store it up for the particular purpose of spreading the gospel. Everything that falls under. And a lot of people will take that so far that they're not even using it for the gospel. They're using it to, to lure people in or to, to fish bait, fish hook them in to being interested in the gospel. And we know that's not what we're about. But that's not what I'm talking about tonight. I want us to think about, first of all, as per our typical form with this series, we want to, first of all, give from the heart. Something that's real, something that's true. Giving from the heart. Secondly, we want to give in truth. What does it mean to give, really? And what does it mean when I don't give? And finally, we want to think about giving in the Spirit. What does giving do for me? What does it, what does it mean if I'm giving everything to God? So as I said, giving from the heart, giving from the start and saying, I'm going to put all of myself into this. I'm going to put my innermost being, my innermost mind into the purpose of this. I'm afraid so many people in this world, they will give to a church and think that that's what they've done. They've done their work and they've done what they need to do to help out. We know that our brothers and sisters in the institutional congregations, there's a big plague of that, isn't it? They've got these human institutions that they're thinking if they just give to the, to the treasury, then that takes care of their work. And they have these other institutions to make up that slack. We know that's not the Bible uh, plan. Giving from the heart, first of all, means knowing the responsibility of giving. I need to know within my heart that I need to give to God. Uh, some people don't even have a, a conception of that. And there was a certain time in my life where I started to grow up and I, I, I didn't give to God as I should have. And uh, that, of course, kept devolving in my youth to where I didn't even go anywhere at all to church. But uh, that responsibility of giving is there. And to think about that, I want us to look at a passage that we may not immediately associate with giving. I'd like for us to look at Matthew 10, please. Matthew chapter 10. This is Matthew's account of when he sent the apostles out on the limited commission. Not the great commission, this is the limited commission. And you might think about this as almost on-the-job training. Jesus is sending them out. He's going to send them out two by two. He's telling them, don't, don't take a whole lot of things with you. Um, so consider what's going on here. Uh, Matthew 10, verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, 
nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. He goes on to tell them that wherever you go, you stay there. Whoever you stay with, stay there until you leave that city. Don't try to find some other place that's going to be better and things like that. Think about this and particularly zero in on the command that Jesus has here in verse 8. Freely you have received. Freely give. If this isn't in your... uh, group of passages that you look at in terms of giving to God, it really ought to be. Yes, we're not the apostles. And yes, we're not given the power to do miracles. But consider this. How many things have we freely been given by God? You know, Jesus didn't give these disciples a bunch of money for a startup company or some sort of way for them to go. Uh, it... it I have to kind of get on a bit of a soapbox. I'm already on a soapbox, but I'm going to get on a little bit more of a soapbox here. It really bugs me when I see people today going on to websites like GoFundMe and things like that and saying, I need you to fund my mission trip to so-and-so country. Now, I don't have a problem with people going and and helping out people and and, uh, building schools and helping uh, people who are sick and working hospitals and soup kitchens, things like that. That's not a wrong thing. The problem that I personally have, this is just, you take this as it is, the problem I personally have is that people want to cloak that in a thing that we're going to go spread the gospel with this thought that I'm going to go and do all these carnal things. And they have the audacity to ask people to give them money for that. That doesn't make any sense to me. Jesus did not go on to Kickstarter. He didn't go on to GoFundMe and try to raise money for the limited commission. In fact, quite the opposite. He expected His disciples to go with barely anything. And why did He do that, do you think? I think it's because He wanted them to understand that they were completely dependent upon the grace and mercy of God in everything they got. Now, if you have a preacher going to preach the gospel in a foreign country, (laughs) am I saying that we shouldn't try to help him and support? That's not what I'm saying at all. But I am saying that we had better look at examples like this and recognize that the gospel is not dependent upon money to work. It's dependent on the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2. Consider what Paul is saying here. 1 Corinthians 2. And verse 1. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 1. When Paul went to the Corinthians, did he come with uh, some sort of big setup and say, I'm going to give you all a five-step plan to, to, to become Christians and things like that? It says in verse 2, excuse me, uh, chapter 2 and verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech, or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let me pause in the reading there and point out that Paul was not someone who was untrained. You remember the in the book of Acts, the Jews, they become amazed at how the apostles know letters having been untrained. And they recognize that they must have been with Jesus to learn these things. You know, Paul... Paul was not untrained. Uh, Under tutelage to one of the greatest rabbis at that time, Gamaliel, 
uh, schooled in every way, a Pharisee of Pharisees, he calls himself. So I, I cannot read this and think that Paul didn't bring wisdom and excellence of speech to them because he couldn't. The reality we have to recognize is that Paul took that training and took all that and shoved it to the side for the sake of the gospel. He determined not to know. He put those things aside and he focused everything on Jesus crucified. Verse 3, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I want to ask you all a question that might put you on the spot a little bit, but I think we need to think about this. Because these are realities that we need to consider in our, in our lives, and especially in our life as a congregation. What would happen if we lost this building here? What would happen if we lost the treasury somehow? Uh, what if we you know, had some, uh, God forbid, some terrible fire here that burns the whole building down? Certainly, we could meet other places. Uh, I think with our rep, uh, relationship with the city of Pinson, we could certainly uh, you know, use the community center. I have no doubt about those things. But what would happen at that point? Will we decide to give up? Will we decide that, well, you know, this has happened, so maybe we just disperse and, and, and go uh, to a different place? There's certainly plenty of faithful congregations around here. And by no means would it be wrong in that case to disperse and worship God in other places. But the point that I want us to think about is, will we still be giving to the Lord? Will we still be faithful to Him if all this was not here? The fact is, there's no point to our congregation if we are not giving to the Lord in every way from the bottom of our hearts. We need to remember that this is the power of God helping us. And that we're not dependent upon any building or any treasury or anything like that. Certainly are great tools. Certainly matters of convenience. And I'm not putting that away and saying we should sell this place or anything like that. By no means. But I want us to ask ourselves, what are we putting into the work of God here at Pinson? If this congregation were not here in Pinson, how would the work of God suffer? If we all decided to just go to these different congregations, what would happen in Pinson? Would people even notice us gone? I'm not saying that because we're a small congregation. I'm saying that so that we can think and consider how much am I giving to God? Not just in monetary ways, but in every way. Brothers and sisters, if we do not give from our hearts, we might as well tear this building down, sell the property, and give the money left in the treasury to faithful gospel preachers. The irony is that with many congregations, that might be a step up for how much work they're doing for the kingdom. If this is true for us, what a terrible testimony. We get into this, I recognize, and it's hard. We get into the, the routine of life. And the sad thing is, when we're not giving enough to God, it becomes a situation where we're expecting the congregation to be there for us. 
when we're not there for the congregation, something for us to really consider. Did Jesus expect the apostles to go on and think that they had to have these things? Did Jesus expect the apostles to say, well, Jesus will take care of the brunt of the work and we can just be here for Him? No, God expects us all to work. Every single one of us. And so there are great spiritual benefits of giving. I mentioned a minute ago that we have freely received. What have we freely received? Well, we freely received salvation. In Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? We've been given such great, great gifts by God. Certainly among them, salvation. We have freely received all that we need to be faithful. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 refers to the fact that His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. We must, knowing how much we've received, we must freely give all for His sake. Matthew 25 and verse 40, the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Remember that story? We talked about it, I believe, during the, uh, the Bible class here in the auditorium this morning. How Jesus makes it clear that what we do, how much we give, the work that we put in to our lives, it echoes in eternity. And we will stand to see those things. So what's our heart? What's the condition of our heart? Are we, are we thinking from the heart, I need to give everything to God? I hope that what we've already talked about has maybe sparked some thought in your mind. What are some ways that I can give? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But let's talk about giving in truth. What does it really mean to give? Well, we've got to remember that the, the requirements of giving show us a lot of truth. In, in 1 Corinthians 16 too, we looked at that just a minute ago. Consider what he's saying there. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. Someone might read that and think, well, he's just suggesting that they put together this, this uh, particular collection. Uh, maybe he's just saying, let each of you. Uh, it, it, you know, If it's possible, you can do this. If not, you don't have to. But in this passage, the Greek word for let is not a suggestion. It's actually an imperative command. The same word shows up in multiple passages. And I just want to, want to ask this thing, uh, ask this question. If this is just a, you know, either or thing, I can give or I don't have to give, you know, maybe I can, maybe I don't have to. In John 15, 16, Jesus says to the apostles, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Now, was there any choice about the apostles uh, joining him? Certainly they had a choice to begin with. But how would they have been judged if they had said no to Jesus? We know the answer to that, right? So Jesus set the apostles on their work. Paul, as he refers to in uh, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 2, it says that God was God put him into the ministry. And that putting... Uh, he says, he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. That word is the same thing as let. And so Paul didn't have any question. He was put into a particular position. 
And this helps us to understand that giving is not a suggestion for the Christian. This is a needed work. And if I'm not giving to God in every way, there's something wrong. And there's something that I really need to consider and work on. There are always things that we need to work on, of course. But we need to think about the fact that we must give. We're called upon to give. Not just monetarily, but in other ways as well. But what does it mean to not give? I told you this morning we'd be turning here. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. This passage is, I would say, a cherry-pick passage that a lot of denominational preachers will go to when they're talking about one of the most controversial things that we can talk about to people, right? When we talk to people about tithing. The denominational world thinks that tithing is still the way that God has set up for uh, His people to give to Him. We see in Malachi 3 and verse 8, Malachi 3 and verse 8, he writes, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now you might say, obviously, in this context, God is talking about their offerings. God is talking about their tithings, which was money that came out of what they had. But what does it mean not to give? Again, we need to broaden our thought about this. It's not just about money. If it was, then Jesus would have said that plainly. I watched a video the other day where uh, some megachurch preacher, I'm not sure who he was, basically was admitting that it's all about money. And saying, if you want to be blessed, you better give to God. Basically saying, you you better give to God if you want to be blessed. And they'll use passages like this to twist and say that if you don't put money into the collection plate, then you're not going to be blessed. That's not what we recognize, right? We recognize that if you do not give to God, it's not just about blessings, right? There's a serious, serious consequence to not giving to God. And it's much more than just not getting blessings. Everybody in the world is blessed, right? Evil people in this world are greatly blessed. Jesus said that the rain would come on the the wicked and the good alike. The Lord's people we see were withholding from Him. We recognize we're to lay by in store. We need to think and realize that, that we have more to offer than money. Anyone can put money into the treasury, right? When we have little children, I think it's a good practice often for parents to give them maybe some change or a dollar bill or something to put into the collection plate. It helps to train them to know that this is, you know, this is what we do. We give to God. And that certainly is right and good. 
But I want, to, I want us to ask ourselves, how much time are we investing among ourselves and others? How much time are we giving for the work of the Lord here at Pinson? How much effort are we putting in? And not just because of what we get out of it, but because of the positive benefits that we can have here together as a congregation. Let me offer some suggestions to you tonight. How can I give more than money to the Lord? We need to ask this question. And we also need to ask the question, by the way, am I giving enough to the Lord? And we all make that decision. That's the problem with the whole tithing thing, where you have churches that uh, have to see their members' accounts to make sure they're paying their tithe. It's not what God's people do anymore. God's people make up their own minds, right? They're able to lay up in store as they prosper. So it's a decision for each of us to make. But we can give more than money to the Lord by edifying. What do I mean by edifying? Well, edifying our brethren and our families. We need to be calling and checking on other members of the congregation. Why do we do that? Well, to encourage someone. We call others when someone has been sick or is sick. We definitely want to call when someone has missed the assembly time. How many of us, when we don't see someone on Sunday, are trying to call them sometime that week and tell them how much we miss them? I, you know, it's one thing if I call them, but don't you think it's going to make that much more of a big deal if, if someone else from the congregation calls them? What if everybody, what if each one of us called the members that were not here today? You know, certainly there are some that they were not here that we know what's going on. That's another thing. But there are some people that aren't here sometimes and maybe we don't have an explanation for why they're not here. And we need to reach out to them and encourage them with that. Of course, we need to call as well when someone is in need of, of loving correction as well. In edifying others, we can go to gospel meetings and go to Bible studies. Think of how much you can encourage other congregations when you go to their gospel meeting. Uh, remember the meetings that we've had, uh, the meetings where we've had upwards of 85 people in here. And uh, that doesn't seem like a big number for some, but for us, you know, it feels like a big number. It's great to feel, you know, the feeling's great when we fill up this building. And that's encouraging, isn't it? Now, how much are you encouraging other congregations in that same way? And going to Bible studies, how, how much do you think it might discourage someone to say, we're going to have this Bible study here, and then nobody shows up? That's a really tough thing to deal with. And so we need to edify each other and build each other up. We need to be prepared for our own Bible studies here at the building. It's, it's, it's something that is very uh, disconcerting when uh, someone comes to teach a class and they realize nobody's prepared for it. And uh, we, we need to monitor that and consider, am I giving enough time to God? How much time does it take, by the way, to prep, you know, prepare uh, uh, on the student's end? Uh, relatively, not very much. We need to be training our children to love God and to love His Word. That takes time and effort. And we're giving that time and effort to God. We don't need to think of our time as just this... Uh, free thing that isn't worth anything. Our time is worth something. How much time, uh, how much, uh, how much was Jesus' time worth? He had a very limited time here on earth, didn't he? And he knew to some degree when that would happen, right? He knew what was going to happen before it happened. 
He knew the time that He would go to the cross. So how much time are we investing in our children to help them love God and to love God's Word? We need to give more than money to the Lord by evangelizing our community. We can invite others to meetings and studies. We can give out bulletins to others. Have you ever thought about our bulletin as an evangelistic tool? You really need to. It's got all the information you need to know about the congregation here. It's got ways to contact us. Uh, it's got, uh, I try just about every time to put an ad for Pinson Bible study in there so that we can get other people outside encouraged and interested in that. Uh, giving out Bible study cards. You know, months ago we talked about that and uh, gave out cards to I think just about everybody there. I uh, haven't had anybody ask for more. So either, you know, maybe we haven't uh, uh, given out any more than that or maybe we've run out and just haven't thought of it. Um, we need to go door knocking. That may be thought of as an outdated thing, but uh, that's time that we can invest in God. That's time that we can give to Him. We also need to give more of the money to the Lord by being benevolent to our brethren in every way. Uh, and being benevolent in general, right? As individuals, we can help out anybody. And we're careful, of course, not to take money from the treasury to help someone who's not a Christian, someone who's not a, a widow indeed, or someone truly in need. We want to be careful about that. So we want to be benevolent particularly toward our brethren. We don't need to withhold help from our brethren. And also, individually, we need to do all we can to help anyone. Galatians 6.10. We need to think about that. So look at this Look at this list. This is a lot of stuff, right? These are a lot of things, a lot of possibilities. I'm not saying we have to do every single one of those this week. I'm just saying that maybe this week we consider and think, what are some ways that I can fit these into things? And not just fit these in, make a priority for these things. Because we know that giving time to God is always a good thing. And I do appreciate, I want to say this, you know, I, I'm not raining down on everybody here. If you're doing these things, you know who you are. And I appreciate you so much for that. But if we're not doing these things, we need to consider these things uh, very truly. Remember what God told the congregation in Sardis in Revelation 3? He says, I have not found your works perfect before God. What led to that point? Certainly, we all have places where we can develop and grow in our knowledge and our action. But you've got to think about, you know, where are we in, in, in the context of that? How much are we giving as a congregation to God? And how much, if we gave more, could bring us closer to that concept of our works being perfect before God? And that may sound like a lofty position, a lofty standard for us to shoot for. But God's given us plenty of lofty standards, right? The problem is when we reach up and take that standard and pull it down, right? God has set the standard. May His standard ever be. We need to remember that we will be judged on how much we give to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.10 We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad. Do you think that your giving is not going to be uh, looked at? Do you think the amount of time that you give to God is not going to be looked at? Uh, and, and you know, one quick thing that I want to make sure that we understand about that list. All of these things can be incorporated into our daily life. 
Yes, there are some things on here that we're going to have to set aside some time and make priority for. But guess what? A lot of these things we can do even while we're at work. You know, while I'm, while someone's at their work or their job, they can invite others to gospel meetings and studies. They can, you can give out the material to others while you're at work. You know, I recognize that a lot of these things have to do with uh, setting time aside. But, you know, just think about incorporating this into your daily routine, into your daily thought. Because that's what the life of a Christian is about. I'm going to look at this in every single way. So think about that. Very, very serious things. Now, to close our thoughts tonight, I'd like us to look at 2 Corinthians 9. And we're going to read this uh, chapter together. Because there are some interesting things that Paul says here about the attitude that we need to have in giving. Now again, in context, Paul is talking about what seems to be financial assistance or financial help that Corinth has said that they're going to provide for some other congregation. I don't know if it's Achaia or Macedonia, but ultimately we see that this is a way that they're going to help. Apply what we're saying here to every aspect of our giving. We've already understood that the, the scope of giving needs to be a lot bigger than what we may already uh, think about. So let's read in 2 Corinthians 9. Paul writes, Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest your, our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He is dispersed abroad, He is given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now may He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are entrenched in everything for all, excuse me, enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. In verses 1-5, through five, we need to think about how giving allies us with the Spirit of God. Well, what do I mean by that? We're allied in the act of ministering. Because God has commanded to us to minister to each other. And to give to each other and to help each other out. 
How did He command us this? He did it through the Holy Spirit. And so when I take an action that is in harmony with what the Spirit has said, then I ally myself to the Spirit. And we are co-workers in this. The Spirit has given us this truth. We live it out. And by living it out, we become allied with Him. Totally and completely. Apparently there had been some strong statement of support for brethren in other places coming from Corinth. And Paul is encouraging these brethren to follow up with their promise of support. Notice in verse 5, he says, you know, basically he's telling them, you talked about this gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as, what? A matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Why is Paul saying that? What is the harm that could have done with just grudgingly giving this? They're still giving the money. The help is still getting there. The brethren would have benefited by this, but Paul is making it clear, I don't want you to do this out of obligation. I want you to do this out of generosity because this is what you want to do. Because you want to be pleasing to God. This speaks so much about our attitude, brothers and sisters. In all the things that we've talked about so far, we've expanded, I hope, the scope of our giving. We need to remember that as we give these things, we need to be careful that it's not done out of a sense of obligation. It's not done out of a sense that, well, we have to do this, and so we're going to go do this. We have to go to church. Uh, What does that tell our children, by the way, if we phrase it in that way? We have to go to church. We get to go to church. We have to go help somebody. We get to help somebody. We need to reassess our thinking. Because if they had done this right thing for the wrong reason, at the very least, we can assume that there would be no usefulness in it for them. At the very worst, it could be sin when we do something that's right for the wrong reason. Just something to think about. So, ministering to each other and doing it for the right reason. Generosity, not grudging obligation. Another translation you might have uh, says covetousness. Don't do it out of covetousness. That's so important that we remember that. Giving in the Spirit also shows that the intention that we should have is given to us by the Spirit. Okay, so I'm not supposed to have a grudging obligation. I'm supposed to have generosity. What does that mean? Well, in the next next verses, 6-9, through nine, he talks about that. Remember, if I sow sparingly, I'm going to reap sparingly. I've got one watermelon plant in my front yard that I've talk, talked to you all about, a few, a few of you about. And I'm not going to get like 15 watermelons out of that thing, you know. It's one watermelon plant. I reap sparingly. And so I recognize that I'm going to, excuse me, I sowed sparingly. And I recognize I'm going to reap sparingly. I may be blessed to get maybe uh, maybe three or four watermelons out of it at the end of the year, but probably more like two. I've got two on there right now, by the way. Uh, so that's kind of cool. But we know the truth of that, right? So why do we only give a little bit here and there for the sake of the congregation? Then we wonder, how come you know things aren't getting better? 
is about the attitude in giving. The attitude is going to help us out. Look at verse 7. We need to give as we purpose in our heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity or out of compulsion, other translations might say. Don't do it because you're forced to. Don't give to the work here because you're forced to and the other, the other possibilities don't sound good. Do it because it's the right thing to do and because you want this congregation to be successful in its work for the Lord. We know that success looks different in different ways. You can have a small, struggling congregation who's doing ten times the work of God than a congregation of 500 people. But at the end of the day, how successful we are comes down to every single one of us. How much we're willing to give for the sake of this congregation. How much we're willing to put into this. Why are we giving? It needs to be in the right reason. God's work needs to be done not with the idea of I have to do this, but with a joyous feeling of I get to do this. And if we have this mindset, brothers and sisters, there's not going to be any lack. There's not going to be any sense where God is going to leave us out on a limb. If we think that this congregation needs to be successful, we better be willing to put the work and effort into making it successful instead of just twiddling our thumbs and saying, well, nobody's really interested and things like that. We've got to be willing to work, every single one of us. The last section that we consider here, the benefits of a proper attitude. Consider what's going on here. Look at verse 12. The administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Have you ever thought about your giving in, as a form of thanks to God? I think we all think about that, right? Uh, certainly when we give on the first day of the week, it's a form where we're saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for being there for us. Are we giving in every single way? There's a great, there are great benefits to this. It's more than what we say. It's what we do. It's more than just saying, I love God and I'm thankful for God. How much time am I putting in to His work? His glory, His honor. Think about these things honestly and truthfully. Turn them over in your, in your heart. Don't forget about them. And we want to all study and consider these things more in the future. Will you bow with me and pray to God? Holy Father, we recognize Your power and Your might. We pray that You would help us now to consider our own souls and consider the truth of how much we give to you. We recognize there are so many times where we withhold things from you, whether it be our money or whether we withhold our time, our effort. And we spend it on other things, Father. Even as we do things in the world that we have to do, Father, may we incorporate the encouraging things that we can do, the edifying things we can do for each other, the ways that we can evangelize in the community, and to be benevolent in every way that we can, to do Your work that You've given us to do. Help us to be faithful in it, Father. The times that we have not, Father, please forgive us. Help us to turn from the mindset that says, I have to do this. Help us to have a mindset that I get to do this and I want to do this because we love You so much, Father. Bless us together, Father, and bless us separately. Help us to 
uh, have individual blessings and bless us as a congregation. Help us to be successful in the service of you, Father. Thank you so much, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we want to ask as well, where are you in relationship to these commands, these things that we've looked over tonight? Where are you in terms of giving to God? How much are you giving to Him every day? And have you cordoned off certain parts of your life? Maybe you decide, I'm just going to give with money. Well, we've already seen there's more to it than that. And if you need to make that change tonight, we want to pray for you to help make that change. And if you want to become a Christian tonight, we can help you there as well. Please come while we stand and sing.